Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s, finding out what happened to her or your in the game, sister. With hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles, the next clue is always within reach. Search for hidden objects from the parlours of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Each chapter uncovers a collection of dazzling hidden object spectacles for you to solve, and I've had a lot of fun. Currently on chapter 7, making progress little by little, tapping away on my phone to get all the puzzle pieces in place. While searching for the murderer, or whatever happened to your sister, you get to decorate your own island with gardens and buildings and chat and play with other Others by joining a detective club. It's a lot of fun and very social. I play while I'm on the train. It keeps me active between my journeys to London and I love the time limits that are pushing me to find those clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Why couldn't they just leave me alone and let me get on with my life if this wasn't some evilly motivated strategy to try and destroy me? They have to cart out my family members, my brother, my stepfather, my mother. It's absolutely despicable. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Edge with Andrew God. I'm trying to say that a bit fast because I say it too often and you've already heard it. But today on the podcast is Claire Headley. I've spoken to Mark Headley before. I think that was put down as a bonus episode. As I do this intro, I don't know if it's going to be a bonus Saturday episode or if it's going to go out on Monday or Thursday for everyone. I'm going to see how everything lines up. But do go to patreon.com slash Gold. You can also sign up on Apple subscribers to get the bonus episodes. And these episodes add free. Claire is one of the highest ranking, well, was one of the highest ranking, she was one of the highest ranking Scientologists that I have interviewed who is not a Scientologist anymore. I'm struggling with my tenses here, but uh, she is no longer a Scientologist. She blew Scientology. She's blown for good. That's the name of her and her husband, Mark Headley's YouTube channel. So go check that out. She's got a fascinating series coming up about the whereabouts of Shelley Miscavige, the wife of the abusive cult leader, the alleged abusive cult leader. Uh, well, he is a cult leader. Well, it's allegedly a cult. Anyway, I'll get on with it. David Miscavige, uh, we don't know where she is, basically. And the actress, Leah Remini from King of Queens, uh, she has raised a lot of awareness about this as well. You know, where is Shelley Miscavige? Uh, all sorts of rumours swirling around about her. Claire is going to take us through her upbringing in Britain. She's American now, <laughs> but in Britain uh, at, at Scientology School, moving uh, into the Sea Org in America... Uh, and all the weird, strange things that go on and how she and her husband, Mark, got out together, which is quite rare. Usually one of the spouses or, or one of the people in the relationship, uh, you know, dob the other one in. Uh, they give the other one up. But uh, in this case, they managed to do it. And it's quite a romantic and beautiful uh, story. So as I say, go check out Blown for Good and keep up with the episodes. There's loads coming up in the next few weeks. I do a lot of Scientology. I know I'm fascinated by it because it's just the cult of cults. It's the celebrity cult and all that stuff. Um, but there's lots of weird and wonderful different kinds of guests coming up. So do stick around. But now you're on the edge of Scientology with Claire Headley. Claire, how are you doing? And, and tell me in your best British accent. Oh, yeah. No, it's long gone. I told you this. I'm good. Thank <laughs> you so know. much for having me on. I worked really You're... hard to lose my accent, and I did it so thoroughly that it's gone forever. <laughs> why Why is that? Well, so about the... Uh, so the best I'll do, I'll give you a try at my name, which I used to say, Claire. How was that? 
That sounded pretty right. Yeah, that sounded right. I think there was a, there was a slight difficulty with the uh, with the R because I guess you're so used to wanting to say that R. Yes, and and we just we just go Claire. Yeah. So in my in my explorations in accents, I would say that Americans do A's and R's, a hundred and forty percent, and English people do maybe sixty. Yeah, that's right. You guys like really America. That's how you, that's how you guys Arr. sound to me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you look British. I, I'll give you that. Although I suppose Americans do tend to look British, but you do look you look British. Let's well let's get into your, your story then. We might as well start in Britain since we're talking about all of those things. It was only recently that I realised that Scientology had any kind of presence in Britain. Then I came to realise there's a whole history, isn't there, with uh, L. Ron Hubbard and coming to London and all those things. Yes, right? absolutely. Quite extensive history with of course the headquarters um located in West Sussex, Saint Hill Manor. Um, and yes, so I was born into Scientology. My, my parents both got into Scientology. Like my mom told me she read Dianetics when she was pregnant with me. Um, and both my mother and father were staff at Manchester org at the time that I was born. Um, and yeah, that, so that's where it all started. Um, my parents ended up getting divorced when I was around three because my dad wanted nothing more to do with Scientology. Uh, I didn't learn that part until later. My mom only ever told me that he cheated on her and left. <laughs> and so when I was four years old, she joined the Sea Organization, which is, of course, where um, members join the inner paramilitary elite corps and commit to a billion years. And so we moved to Stonelands, which was... Um, it's outside of East Grinstead, close to West Hoathly. Um, and that's where she began her career in the Sea Organization. And that's where my career as a an orphan child, essentially, um, in Scientology started. I say orphan because at that point I was just handed over to um, Sea Org nannies who took care of me. Um, in the beginning, I would see my mother for an hour at what around dinner time for what was called family time. Um, and then she would have two hours on, I can't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, to clean her room and do her laundry. So I'd spend that time with her. And yeah, so <laughs> I, I was um, placed into full-time care of Sea Org members. And then I think by the age of six, I became what's called in the Sea Organization a cadet, which is where children of Sea Org members are <clears throat> trained to then become Sea Org members themselves. I see. Well, firstly, did your father cheat then? Or was that a reference to cheating sort of by, by not wanting to be a Scientologist? Uh you know, I, I, I've never actually talked to him. I don't know him. So I can't really answer oh, wow. to his perspective. Um, <clears throat> but the bottom line is I've talked to other fam like peripheral family members, aunts and uncles, no longer in Scientology. And to a one, they always say that Scientology was, was what destroyed their relationship. So I think that was the, the driving force. Whether whether he did or didn't is neither here nor there. Honestly, in the in the end, um, at least from my perspective, because obviously my mother was not going to tell me. Well, he left Scientology. She never said that, um, but that is what happened. Hmm. And this is one of the things that people say about Scientology: it breaks families apart. Yep. Um, even the, the the most famous person, as a brief aside, I was just looking into this again today. But Tom Cruise, uh, I think Katie Holmes and Nicole Kidman were both about the breakups were because he was so into Scientology and they weren't quite enough. Is that right? Yep. It very definitely was about that. So, in fact, hmm. and Penelope <laughs> Cruz. Yes, exactly. Penelope um, was getting brought into Scientology, but. Um, did not want to give up Buddhism. Um, and so, you know, and of course, I'm sure you've heard, um, they say, oh, we accept people of all religions. Um, and that's yeah. just the, the cheese to lure the, the mouse into the trap kind of thing. Um, it's absolutely mm. untrue. In fact, once you're in, if you uh, believe in other faiths, they call it other practices, and you're actually labeled a potential trouble source until you, um, you know, give up that belief or, or faith or whatever it is. 
Something we've seen time and time again as well in, in cults, not just Scientology, but in different kinds of cults, is that kind of divide and conquer and they do do it to the families and so and, and obviously there's this history with the the thetans the the folklore about thetans and things so it's not really your son or your your daughter and it's all a bit complicated like that yes what does that say to you about um and I, i've been sort of this has for some reason become quite controversial because i mentioned it a few times and people get quite annoyed at me but what does it say about the maternal or the paternal instinct to you that i mean because you've seen what parents can do and how they can be to their children. Absolutely. And it is very true. There is a, um, a detachment. The way that I personally summarize it is that in Scientology, there is no such thing as unconditional love. It just does not exist. Um, even in a parent-child circumstance, love from your parent is dependent upon your entire cooperation with that faith. And if you do not cooperate, you will lose your family. And I was well aware of that from the age of five or six. I mean, the first time I personally felt the impact of disconnection, and again, this was not me personally. Well, actually, I, I take that back. <laughs> I never knew my father because of Scientology. I just didn't associate that with disconnection because I was so young. Um, <clears throat> but I had a friend when, when I was six years old whose mother was declared a suppressive person and she so the this my friend never saw her mom again and that was really shocking and impactful to me at age six to know full well that i could be in that same position and lose my mother completely and factor in by this point you know i was my mom was my only parent so it was even more um terrifying if you will, because <clears throat> she was the only parent that I had. So my entire childhood became a battle for just trying to get any attention from my mom and try and spend any amount of time with her. I mean, I mentioned the two hours a week when she would do her laundry, and I have repeated memories of uh, just bawling my eyes out at the end of that, begging to go with her to work, trying to get <laughs> um, special written approval to go spend Sunday afternoon with her and having that be denied and just on and on and on. It's, it's insane. But yeah, so, and I will say too, obviously, since leaving and having my own kids, um, that has just so tremendously changed my perspective. Like, until I had kids of my own, I would say, I, I still was rationalizing it to some degree or another, simply because that's the that was just the childhood that I knew. Um, and then when I have now with three kids of my own at every milestone, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe uh, some of the experiences I had at those same ages. So like, for example, my oldest is now 17, which is older than I was when I joined the sea organization. So what, what happened I know. I know. We always fall back on well, brainwashed and cult. And what happened to your mum? Uh, she is still in Scientology. But I mean, what happened to make oh her to make her join that way? Well, yeah. Well, and also to maybe put put you second. Right. So um, a few things. So I I've started actually now working on my own book. Obviously, Mark Mark wrote his book back in two thousand nine and for good behind the iron curtain of Scientology. My perspective is very different simply because I, I was brought into the C organization at the age of four. But, and, and obviously I can't go talk to my mom and say, hey, what happened? But um, I do know, so she was raised in Manchester. Um, my grandparents were both um, Irish and had moved to Manchester around world, uh, right after World War II. And so she was raised very strict. Um, you know, she went to Roman Catholic, uh, like her teachers were nuns. Um, and so it, to me and my understanding of it in retrospect is it was <clears throat> very abusive on many levels, not very different than Scientology. I'm not going to make this an argument about Catholicism, but um, from my perspective, she went from <laughs> the frying pan into the pot of boiling water or into the fire. Um, so I think she was kind of predisposed to wanting to break free of how she'd been raised. 
And her brother, her the brother she was closest to had gotten into Scientology. Um, they were hippies in the 70s. Um, she got pregnant with me when she was 17. So on many levels, I think that she was looking for a way to break free. And unfortunately, that um, vehicle was jumping into Scientology. And so, for example, when she joined the Sea Organization when I was four years old, uh, her dream and goal was to go and be a messenger for L. Ron Hubbard aboard the, the ship, the Apollo. Of course, this was right around the time that then the the Sea Organization was moved to land and set up in Clearwater eventually and so on and so forth. Somebody asked me the other day, wow, what would have happened to you if she'd actually done that? I'm like, yeah, that's a great question. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, and it's it's such an interesting thing to think of. Um, you know, you, you, I always forget how that expression goes. You just said it, and I've already forgotten it, out of the frying pan into the – or something. Yeah, out. into the fire is, is typically. Into the fire, right. And it's there are, there are parallels between – uh, Scientology and Catholicism. I don't. I don't know much about Catholicism, but I, I guess a lot of cults and religions. Uh, there's this sort of competitive status stuff, and you compete for. Often it's modesty and righteousness. But I feel like Catholicism and Scientology, they both sort of fetishize um, hard work and discipline. Right. Would that, would that does that sound right? Yep, I think so. Um, and and obviously in Scientology, there's the lofty goal. I I say lofty because I don't think they're. I know they're not accomplishing that, but like, oh, we're going to save the planet. And, you know, this is the only means by which you can help people and, you know, on and on and on. And yeah, you're right. It's the our way or the highway kind of approach. So so then let's get back into your, your story then. So I guess, what, 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 okay, so you were a cadet four till 10 years old. Yes. Um, preparation to go into the Sea Org. Then you went to Greenfield School. That's in the UK. What's that like? Yes. So that is entirely a Scientology owned and run school. Um, it's run by people actually that used to work in the Guardian's office, which was, you know, anyway, we could get way into the weeds on that, but that's the dirty tricks section of Scientology that's now referred to as Office of Special Affairs. Um, so the Guardian's Office staff now, there, you know, the Guardian's Office was shut down, and those people then went to start schools in 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 America. It's Delphi Academy. Um, in England, it's Greenfields, um, and. Uh, Greenfields, I was not able to go there until I was 10 because my mother was in the Sea Organization and she couldn't afford, you know, private, the private tuition of Greenfields. <laughs> Ironically, she got me to ask my grandmother to pay for Greenfields. And my grandmother was very reluctant. Uh, like she was never a Scientologist. She was, you know, like I said, she was a, a Catholic. Um, but she also wanted me to be happy. And so I asked her and she said yes. And so she paid for the tuition so I could go there. Um, and in Scientology, they undermine traditional schooling. So for example, I had finished primary school and I was utterly terrified at the thought of going to public secondary school. Um, I just... <laughs> Looking back, I really wish I wouldn't have been so terrified, but hey, my path led me here and this made me who I am, so I'm not going to cry over spilt milk. But um, yeah, so I ended up going to Greenfields for two or three years, and um, most of the students were Scientologists, some were not. Um, and even then, I think that was the first uh, environment where I realized how the semantics of Scientology really isolate you from the outside world. Um, you know, there's just, I mean, I'm sure you, you know, but for anyone listening, like a Scientologist can have a conversation with another Scientologist and you would have absolutely no idea what we just said. <laughs> what kind of, give, give me an example, what kind of words? So like um, common in my childhood growing up was someone would say, an adult would say, don't be banky. And that is in reference to the reactive bank or the reactive mind in Scientology that they believe you have engrams, which is caused by moments of pain or unconsciousness in this lifetime or in prior lifetimes. 
And so don't be banky means essentially like stop acting out or um, uh, stop, you know, your, your th- stop throwing a fit, you know, in English language. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But it was like this, it was like this accusatory, like, you're being banky. <laughs> Thank you. I've never even, I've been looking in Scientology. It, just the one you've plucked out of your head there, I've never even heard that one. So there must be so much. It's a whole language, which again, obviously is a, is a very common tool in, in any kind of cult. Um, Greenfields, why does it, when I, you know, you look on the Wikipedia and stuff, which I imagine must be sort of monitored by Scientologists as well. Yep. They don't seem to advertise as a Scientology school. Like the word Scientology is hardly there at all. And I wondered if that's to do with like, they want to sort of sneakily get people in who don't realize it's a Scientology school and, and Dr them especially because one of their specialties they do at the well at least at the moment i think is english as a foreign language and i remember um a, a former scientologist alex barnes ross he said that they would target uh people who didn't speak english as a first language often to sort of get because they might not have heard about the, the bad side of scientology do you think yeah you know they, is there anything to that absolutely it's a very intentional strategy in fact is referred to as secular um in you know there's several divisions narconon the drug program is another one where they they actually rewrite the materials to eliminate any um, terms that indicate at the outset that it's Scientology, but it is 100% Hubbard programs, approaches, and everything. So they teach in, in at Greenfields. They um, teach Hubbard's barriers to uh, barriers to study, um, and all the materials just eliminate like I said, the any terms that indicate that it is Scientology, but it 100% is. So creepy, so sneaky. So I guess you were saying they weren't all Scientologists, so some of your friends were just not, but they would have been involved with all the terminology and, and I guess fallen into it? Well, so that's the thing. <clears throat> like I went into it thinking, oh, this is a Scientology school. In fact, and I'm 10. So I was already used to, I'd been to public school. So I knew among you know, in, in the public school setting to not use those terms. But here I thought, well, now I'm in a Scientology school, so I can just speak my normal language as it were that I've learned uh, that I've been raised with since, since I was four. And, um, so uh, like another example is, uh, so Banky was one, don't cut my calm is another, which, you know, and, and again, it just means, hey, I'm in the middle of having a conversation, just give me a minute. But it's this just, it, it, it's a, a an accusation of you're cutting my communication, cut my calm. Um, and so I think I said that to this girl, hey, you cut my calm. And the gir- the my friend that I was sitting with was like, wow, you, you're going to talk like that? <laughs> and I'm like, well, oh, aren't we all well, Scientologists cool. here? <laughs> Again, I was 10. I didn't have the best... Uh, <laughs> skills to evaluate social circumstances but i was like oops (laughs) wyndham hotels and resorts makes travel possible for all whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers or a place to make summer memories with the whole family no matter who you are where you're going or why with 24 trusted brands to choose from like la quinta days in and super eight your Wyndham is waiting get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. restrictions apply visit website for more details it's such a difficult age anyway to you know when you start realizing what you can and can't say and you only sort of learn by saying things and seeing what the reaction is there's a lot of trial and error yeah god i said i wouldn't be 10 years old again especially not in my shoes oh my goodness no yeah i know my my son is 10 now i'm like i would never talk to my child that way are you kidding it's like hey what's going on you know anyway that's interesting the closest i can come to it's a similar thing, but it's not really similar. It's because I went to on a Sunday school, a Jewish Sunday school thing, and then I'd go back to my normal school and sort of be aware, like, oh, don't say these weird things I've learned at this weird, which I think is also, well, I, I, that's a controversial thing to say, but I think it was a weird thing I had to go to on a Sunday as well. But, you know, fine. Um, <laughs> but that thing of having to sort of then hide that in your day-to-day, you know, school life. Were you at um, Greenfields at the same time as that teacher, Mark Kent? Yes, and so he was, he was um, a new Scientologist, um, and he was the sports teacher and the geography teacher, and he was actually abusing 
at least 10 boys. Um, yeah, no, it was really bad. He ended up going to jail. And of course, when it, this was exposed after I had left, but I had heard rumorings when I was there of just strange things. And again, I was pretty young, so I, I I didn't re- I didn't know what to make of it, but when I heard after the fact, uh, it kind of made all the pieces fell into place. The Scientologists that were that he abused were made to not complain about it, as is typical in Scientology, um, because they didn't want bad publicity. They didn't want the publicity of um, the magnitude of the kids that he had abused to be known publicly. Um, but some of them were not Scientologists and that's how he ended up going to jail. Oh, that's interesting. Cause I, I was just going to, before you explain that, be like, well, how is it knowing what we know about, and, and you can't really speak about this right now, the Danny Masterson case, uh, because you're, you're, you were, what, what does one call it? Called, called to trial? Yeah. I testified witness. as an expert witness on the policies and procedures of Scientology. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, so we'll, we we'll talk, talk about, about that, that case, after the fact, for sure. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to do. I've obviously been, I've been talking a lot with Aaron about it and speculating and things, but you're actually there. But that aside, that's really interesting what you say about that teacher, that Scientology. So that if it was just Scientology kids, and, and does that imply that that goes on quite often at the schools and in Scientology yes. is there abuse that isn't handled right yes absolutely it's against Scientology policy to call the police or involve the police if any anything happens you report it to the ethics officer in Scientology which in every organization there's an ethics officer and in Scientology the ethics officer is the police officer so you just have to understand that you know for a Scientologist, if something happens, that's what they do, is they report it to the ethics yeah. officer. And all this time you're growing up, um, are you being made to go to auditing, which is a sort of Scientology version of therapy, like counselling? And Because uh, a lot of people have even, a lot of people commented on that being strange in itself, being like a young girl having to tell all your thoughts to an adult. Yes. In fact, it's funny you should mention that because when I was six, my my mother was training to become an auditor, a counselor, a therapist in Scientology. And so she decided that she was going to audit me. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't need auditing. And she's like, well, this is going to make you happy. And I'm like, I am happy. <laughs> I don't oh want to do this. And I, and again, because I started, I, you know, from four, Scientology was my entire life. So I was well aware that there are very limited boundaries by which you can push back. And after that, you get in a lot of trouble. Um, anyway, so I lost and she did end up um, doing auditing with me, which was even worse because it's your mother. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I started getting auditing when I was six years old. And then were you pushed to admit things and things that weren't even true? Yes. Yep. And the, you know, do you have a withhold or has a withhold been missed means, is there something you've done that you don't want found out about? And of course, I think any child at that age, if somebody asks you, you know, it, it you instantly like break a sweat, like, oh my gosh, what have I done wrong kind of thing? You know, it, and it, it's just it's very intrusive and uncomfortable and um you know it's just not not a not appropriate for children whatsoever it doesn't make for any safe environment at all <laughs> so yeah yeah i think i for me i imagine it's worse when you're like 12 or 13 you're going through that really difficult embarrassing puberty stage and that's a point where like i feel like no adult should be really like going inside a kid's head and asking them about you know sexual things and that that's where it's really horrible i mean what was that your what was your experience about that age? well at that age actually i was training to be a counselor myself an auditor so i was trained on doing those procedures to adults um like asking about you know things they've done and that was uh and And they've got to tell you as a child yes sexual things yep so, uh, oh so I'll God. be honest, that's how I, I learned about masturbation was from, uh, you know, interrogating someone at, when I was 14 and a, a, a 40 year old man. And 
he confessed to this and I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's a very abusive practice within Scientology. That's just really insidious in terms of the impact and effects. Uh, and again, because in Scientology, they don't believe you're a child. They believe you're an adult in a quote, small body, unquote. So therefore, you know, you've been an adult many, many times before. So they treat you as if you're an adult. Another former Scientologist who goes by Ono Nora, she was telling me that L. Ron Hubbard sort of wrote into the script, basically, that homosexuality is prohibited. I presume if they were admitting it, then you know, as, as something they've done wrong, then masturbation must be as well. And yet, you know, sort of adult-child things seem to be, to some extent, P- permissible. Right. Yeah, I know that you, you can't insert too much logic into it because it will fall apart really quickly. But yeah, absolutely. And I knew Nora. I know Nora. <laughs> we actually, she, I met her at Celebrity Center in the 90s. And then I knew her again in 96 when I was in Clearwater, Florida for about a year. Um, by that time, I was in Religious Technology Center. But, but yes, you're absolutely right. Um, the main text from Hubbard, there's a book called Science of Survival, where he explores the what's called the emotional tone scale in Scientology, which is, you know, uh, it's, it's a scale of that, essentially, any person is on that scale somewhere, um, all the way from minus 40 to zero, which is body death, like you're literally dead. And then 40 plus 40 is called serenity of beingness. But Hubbard says in Science of Survival talks about the tone, the the tone level of 1.1, which is covert hostility. And that's where he says that anyone who's homosexual is and that's a lower tone scale. So that person is succumbing or going towards death, basically, and that Scientology processing and training will quote unquote, fix that. It's awful, but okay. So, but when you knew Ono Nora in the nineties, you were at that point, I presume, you know, really into the whole thing, climbing up the bridge and all that stuff. So, would you, would you have, did you have an inkling she might be gay, and and how would you have viewed that at the time? I honestly did not, um, <clears throat> and I, and again, uh, under the filter of Scientology, it would have been. I would have reacted negatively, like, oh, my gosh. I mean, um, and I had heard of, of you know, um, other people that were, that were gay, and it was very much frowned upon. They were very much trying to, quote, unquote, cure. I mean, it, it's despicable. It just is. They are absolutely homophobes. Um, and anyone that says otherwise has no clue what they're talking about. Um, it's just 100% something that Hubbard has said over and over and over and over thousands of times that, uh, you know, they're outcasts of society and just really, really despicable language, hate language, honestly. My understanding of, of you and your position in Scientology is that you were very high up. Um, and compared to a lot of the ex-Scientologists I talked to, including your husband, Mark and Aaron and, and Chris, I think, and Shelton, um, you were like further up than any of them. Is that is that right? Yes, it is. Um, so in so I joined this. I ended up becoming a C, a member of the C organization myself at the age of sixteen, and I was quickly promoted to work at their headquarters, which was the, is this five hundred acre secure compound located in Gilman Hot Springs, California. Um, I worked there as a what's called a staff supervisor. It's the equivalent Scientology equivalent of a teacher um, making other staff study Hubbard materials essentially I did that for five years and then in 1996 I was promoted into Religious Technology Center which is the highest ecclesiastical organization in Scientology that's run by David Miscavige himself Um, and it's the police organization so it's the police of every echelon of Scientology. Um, Religious Technology Center can go into any organization anywhere and deal with matters that are of concern to them. For example, if someone had called the police or, you know, if there was a matter that was going to generate bad publicity, legal matters, you name it, that was, um, that's what that organization is responsible for. And 
originally I was training to be um, a representative. So I was actually going, I was in, at, at, in Clearwater, Florida for a year. Um, funnily enough, that's where I first met Aaron Smith-Levin in 1996. Um, and I was actually going to be the RTC person, Religious Technology Center, um, that was going to be working at Celebrity Center in Los Angeles. Uh, that never ended up happening because Mark threw a fit <laughs> and, <laughs> and demanded that I be brought back. I mean, as much as he could, he, um, he pleaded with Shelly Miscavige and she um, got she changed things around so that I would end up being positioned back at the headquarters. And then for four years, I was on there on the Religious Technology Center org chart. I was number three. So it didn't really mean much in, in that world in terms of power or control or anything, but I was absolutely, um, you know, high up. In fact, when I went to go, uh, when I was getting ready to go testify, my son, my 10-year-old said, Mom, why, why are you having to do this and not Dad? And I said, well, because I was w- way higher up than Dad. And he goes, well, that's not something to boast about. I'm like, oh, trust me, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, that's an interesting thing though about about status and things like mm-hmm. that because i correct me if i'm wrong but there must be a part still deep down inside you that is slightly proud of of being further along or within the ex-scientology you know you're to an extent the authority on it yeah i uh, that's complicated um <laughs> yeah, you know, and 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 I think my perspective is different again because it is the entire life I ever knew. Um, so of course, you know, naturally being programmed in that from such a young age, yes, I was trying very hard to get up to the upper levels and do the training and just you know by that time I had perfected the art of locking the the back door in my mind of the little voice that's going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you just kind of shut it all away. You know, the cognitive dissonance of, you know, don't ask questions, don't ever have a critical thought. I had gotten very, very good at that. Um, And so, yeah, (laughs) it's, I mean, I wish I could get some of the precepts and ideas out of my mind, I still have to sort through that of, am I thinking this because of this? Or, you know, and so I read a lot of books, and I've done therapy. And, you know, it's just, you got you have to work through it. I still have nightmares, for example, um, especially when I talk about it. So I kind of try to, to do it, you know, kind of have spots in between where you can kind of rest your brain from the craziness. So I understand. And and, well, being that high up at that point when you when you were in Scientology, did you get close? I gather you were close with with Shelley Miscavige or you knew Shelley Miscavige. That's the wife of leader David Miscavige, who people say is missing. Do you have do you have any thoughts on where she might be? Yes, um, it's been rumored that she's at the Running Springs property in um, close to Big Bear in California. Um, I don't know that to be the case, though. But yes, I worked very closely with Shelly for four years at, during the time that I was number three. Anytime that they, um, she and David Miscavige were at the property, I would meet with her every day. Like she, I, she was essentially, for all intents and purposes, my direct boss. Um, so I would go up to her office, meet with her, show her what my battle plan was for the day that's in Scientology any staff member has to write a battle plan every single day of you know what you're going to get done that day Um, so she would review that with me and kind of we'd have conversations and um, so my a lot of my job it, it was essentially the equivalent of like human resources out in the real world so if somebody was if David Miscavige said oh Norman Starkey is he's he's uh, non-complying with my orders. He's got something going on. I would have to then interrogate Norman on the e-meter to find out what, what crimes he committed. And and then I have to write a report to uh, David Miscavige and Shelley Miscavige saying what he had confessed to. Um, you know, it was, <clears throat> it just was an entirely different world than I think what people can relate to. What's, yeah, what is it like now to look back at those things? And I mean, this is a question that I, I ask uh, every most people who have 
defected or left uh, something like this. I've, I asked Mike Rinder, for example, as well. Uh, do you look back now and just go, oh my God, what did I do? And, and are there things that you, you unfortunately, because of the position you were in, that you are ashamed that, that you did? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, it was so insane, so insane. Um, there was one time that, uh, so I would attend many of the meetings um, that David Miscavige held held with all the Scientology management executives. I personally witnessed him abuse many people, Mike Rinder, I mean, a lot of executives. I've personally witnessed him abuse. Um, unfortunately, we're in a world where we were entirely isolated. It's not like I could call 911 um, or, and nor was I programmed to even think that that was an option. Uh, I was programmed to think that would be a crime. So there was many, a lot of physical abuse I witnessed. Um, you know, one time uh, Shelly Miscavige told me, throw, throw Greg Wilhair up against a wall. And I did um, because you comply with orders and Mind you, I was, by that point, 100 pounds, I had suffered extreme weight loss, like really, really bad. So it's not like I did any damage, but nonetheless, it's it's upsetting thinking back on those. And then, of course, all the, the mental um, conniptions I put people through in terms of having to interrogate them, and it, none of that is healthy or good or anything. Um, and then there was just crazy stuff too. Like, um, I had to go into the management executives one time and tell them the most obscene statement that David Miscavige said, you go tell them blah, blah, blah. It's like equivalent to the, uh, Y S C O H A B <laughs> acronym from, from Mike Rinder's story. It was equivalent to that. I won't say it, <laughs> but you know, and then, and then there were, times that I had to assign people to the rehabilitation project force, which is awful. Um, that's like the mental reprogramming camp where members of the C organization, they dress, they have to dress in black, run everywhere they go. They can't talk to anybody. They're being interrogated for evil purposes. I mean, it's, that is the ultimate reprogramming slave camp labor program in Scientology. It's so frustrating because there's no one it's it's like there's no one to blame because everyone like if we look at Scientology now and we criticize Scientology, but all the people in it, in it are just like you or Aaron or Mark um, or Mike, and they're just people who are currently they just they're true believers, the vast majority of them. Uh, so how do you I mean, how do you handle that when you think of Scientology now and, and the evil of it? Who are you thinking of? Well, I mean, it is run by David Miscavige. Um, and obviously was created by Hubbard. So, and I would say, you know, again, that's where um, I'm sure you know, Aaron and Mark and I work with the Aftermath Foundation. I'm the treasurer. So we, we provide a buffer for people trying to get out because everybody in Scientology at some point and depending on their experiences, they will reach a breaking point. And when they do, they need somebody that can understand what they've been through and can help them get out and start a new life. And it's a daunting prospect, especially if you've been in Scientology, let's say for 40 years, you know, um, it's sometimes likened to the sunk cost trap, which I think is a very accurate analogy because, you know, it's hard to believe in something for 40 years and then have to wake up and look back and go, wow, <laughs> how did I get here? And yet it's the only thing that will bring relief and freedom, really. One of the things I think that would be hardest for me is because I, I don't want to die. And I think a lot of people don't want to die. And that really upsets me. And I think leaving any kind of belief system where you live forever and then you wake up one day and you're like, oh, you know what? I might That might not be true. And I might just have like, instead of a billion years, I've got like 20 and the last 10 aren't going to be that good anyway. Right. Does that strike you at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I was never banking <laughs> on living forever. It was just kind of baked into my upbringing. <laughs> but yeah, and, and it's funny, I'm sure, you know, there's different, different people who have left Scientology have different perspectives. I, I would say I'm not, um, I'm not 
probably ever going to be ready for any form of organized religion. Um, you know, I believe in some higher power, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. Like when I was intercepted in Vegas, they tr were trying to bring me back for all for everything I'd been through and all my programming, they should have succeeded in, you know, taking me back, but they didn't. So I have to kind of go, you know, between my love for Mark and, uh, you know, everything still, even with all that, uh, you know, they were telling me my whole family would be destroyed, everything. It was crazy. But yeah, I, and, and I don't know, personally, now I just go, well, what we have is the here and now, you know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. So make today count. And whatever comes after comes after. I don't know. <laughs> so I wish I knew. <laughs> but um <laughs> so how did you and mark decide to leave because also i'm thinking that that's difficult as well the dynamics when one person in a couple wants to leave um and you're scared of saying it to the other presumably yeah well we never decided to leave mark decided to leave <laughs> and of course this is covered extensively in his book but um and even so even though we worked at the same property and we had a room we very rarely saw each other we didn't eat meals together uh you know i was i was in a much higher organization from him he was on an entirely different schedule um january 2005 he was told that he was going to be assigned to the rehabilitation project force which meant that he was going to be sent to los angeles and at that point but at that at this particular time period anyone that was sent there was then not allowed to come back to that property so it meant he was never going to see me again anyway um but again i didn't know any of this was going on um so he he decided that he was going to take off he had radioed me we had these little like nextel radio phone things that were they weren't ours they were owned by the organization and tracked by the organization but nonetheless he messaged me and asked me if I was coming home. And I was like, I'm going to try. I'm going to at least try and come home and take a shower because I've been working through the night. Um, I hadn't even seen him at that point for, I think, about a week. Or if, um, Anyway, long story short, I never ended up going home. He took off on his motorcycle. He got run off the road. Um, a passerby called 911. They then told me, so I... Uh, so, so I was sitting in my office just dozing off after having stayed up all night, and I get called into Jenny Linson's office. She was the one of the top executives um, of Scientology management at that time and probably still is. And she tells me, oh, um, Mark is blowing, Scientology word for unauthorized departure. And uh, yeah, that my whole world was rocked. And I was like, well, I'll go get him back. <laughs> obvious <laughs> and um i was going i was getting ready to go after him somebody security was going to take me out there to go bring him back and then they told me oh he called the police he called 911 now he's an enemy you can't go and again to me that just epitomizes the perspective in scientology and highlights the fact that they are not allowed to call the police like to me this was an earth-shattering statement like what he called the police? Are you kidding me? Which, and ironically, that's not even what happened. We have the police report, which we included in Mark's book, and it clearly says a passerby saw him get run off the road by the security staff. So anyway, so yeah, so he took off and uh, I was left there by myself. Um, to, and so it took me about three weeks to figure out how to get out of there. I figured out how to contact him surreptitiously, which was incredibly hard. And, um, how did you do it? So I, so my family are not in the C organization. They're Scientolo Scientologists that at the time lived in California. My sister, um, is much younger than me. She was in college at the time. And so I called her, I, you know, with, without authorization to do so. Again, I had an organization phone, um, but because I'd been in Religious Technology Center, I wasn't so closely monitored um, because often Shelly Shelley Miscavige would call me, for example, or Larice would call me or other people. Um, so it, I had a little more wiggle room 
that even then, then though I knew they were watching my phone records because Mark had escaped. Um, two days after he left, they told me I couldn't go. I couldn't even go home at all anymore. I was sleeping in a sleeping bag on the flo- on my office floor. Anyhow, so <laughs> I called my sister and I made up this whole cockamamie story, saying, "Oh, Mark's on a project." Um, I can't talk to him, but if you could get him a message and just say, hey, could you call at 6 a.m. the next day? And I sold her on it and she did it. So then he called and I said, I I, I can't do this. You got to help me get out of here. I can't do this without your help. And he was like, and and again, he kind of thought it was a trap because, you know, they do that, that they so use... weird. the whole the whole thing so weird go on I sorry. Know. no 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 it's i know it's true because they would use spouses against each other so he didn't know if he could trust me and i'm like come on you're calling me at 6 a.m like you really think i'm trying to get you back i cannot i had you know his leaving what caused the catalytic ripple effect that i realized i was in hell literally and i would not survive if i stayed there I really had just, I absolutely believed that. Like I said, I'd had extreme weight loss. I was a wreck. I couldn't sleep. It had gotten to the point where I couldn't even eat anymore. They has, At one point, they assigned a staff member to escort me to, to meals to make me eat. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty bad. Anyhow, so... Because you, because you were depressed? Yeah, I was just massively stressed out. Mark, had, Mark had, was gone. Um, and... Yeah, my life was quickly falling apart, which I didn't think was possible from how bad it already had been. <laughs> so, Why wasn't he calling you just, you know, you had to get him to call at 6am, but why wasn't he just calling all the time? Was he worried he'd get you in trouble? Or something? They actually changed my phone number so that he couldn't call me. Oh. So, oh. yeah, they were, yeah. they were definitely... Um, and yeah, so they changed my phone number at one point. Then they decided to try and use me to get him back again. So when he did call, I had to kind of buzz security so that they would come and listen in on the conversation. Crap like that. It was spy versus spy at that point. And he sort of would, you would have given him a clue that they were listening or something? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> because, you know, again, I was, I was stuck. Like if I let on that I was actually really determined to get out of there then they would have locked me up just like they've done with Shelly you know they've done it with other people too who have been disappeared for years so that's and that's what um that's why we're about to launch a new series on Mark's channel well our channel now I butted in and (laughs) 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 but it's uh it's on where is Shelly because I knew her personally and I know that that very easily could have been my fate as well it's it's absolutely crazy um and and just to see to I guess what's really interesting about your story is is that sort of love aspect and how you are, are able to get around it take me to the moment then when you first meet each other as outsiders what that must have been rather beautiful no? oh it was incredible <laughs> yeah i know it, it's uh yeah i'll never forget that moment i climbed off the greyhound bus and there was mark and big hug and yay <laughs> it was it, it's amazing i mean it it really is um yeah i mean it's we're a statistical anomaly in many respects because unfortunately many relationships do not survive that hell um <clears throat> I'm just thankful we made it. <laughs> Even though, you know, I had the clothes on my back and by that point I had to think $30 didn't matter. It was the exhilaration of like, hey, this is the first day of the rest of my life. Finally free. Amazing. You've got that kind of camaraderie like you've been to war together, you know, and survived war. Yeah. Which has its pros and cons. <laughs> you know. Yeah. What are the cons? Well, you know, it's like um so yes we understand the language we understand the trauma we've been through sometimes it's important to take a break from that and then if one of us brings it up and we're just trying to take a break then it's like oh, do we have to do we have to talk about this right now you know it's just and and it's funny for two or three years we we didn't really we didn't compare notes we didn't talk about it 
And so, for example, when Mark was doing the interview with me about my childhood, um, there were, you know, I just never talked at great length about my experiences in the cadet organization or any of that. So people were like, how can you have been married for 30 years? And he, he sounds like he doesn't know any of this. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> you have to understand, you don't do a lot of comparing notes in Scientology. And when once you leave, your focus is on starting a new life from nothing. So, you know, anyway, <laughs> we, we've, we've, yeah, we've lived through a lot together and we understand each other and we know our weaknesses and our strengths. Let's just leave it at that. Because <laughs> he didn't even know about Lord Zenu until, you know, you knew for some time. <laughs> yes. And you couldn't tell him, right? Right. I know. No, it would be a high crime for me to tell Mark um, you just don't ever. And the the mental manipulation and programming in Scientology is so strong that, you know, I'm sure you've heard many people say, oh, my gosh, I read that. I was like, what the heck is this? But nobody ever says that out loud because, you know, if you do, it means that you are broken. The problem is entirely with you and you, you know, you're either a potential trouble source or you're a suppressive person. If Scientology doesn't work on you, you're a bad person. I mean, layer upon layer upon layer that all folds back on yourself if you ever ask a question or have a critical thought and you definitely don't ever compare notes. But yeah, Mark, Mark was watching the South Park episode and honestly, that freaked me out at the time. I was still like, you know, we were very fresh out. It takes a lot to unravel all of that mental programming, especially in my case, where it's everything I'd known since my earliest memories. Um, but still, I was like, I, I, I have respect for him. Do whatever you're going to do. You know, when he started speaking out on the Internet, I, it was terrifying. Um, but still, I was like, <clears throat> it's okay. Um, but for, for a while, um, you know, we just didn't ever talk about that. And then he asked me when he saw the South Park episode, is this for real? I'm like, oh yeah, completely. He's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah. He's like, why did, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, yep. 100% real. <laughs> Cause also you, I guess you feared he'd catch pneumonia. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark is just in your face that way. He's like, well, we're going to know by tomorrow morning if I'm still alive. It's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I love this scene of like both of you like there together. He's just watched South Park. You're like fresh out of Scientology and you're about to live this life together the rest of your life and sort of jokingly, but maybe a tiny bit seriously going, let's see tomorrow if, if Mark catches pneumonia and dies because he's found out he's not at the required, the requisite <laughs> sort of OT level to know about Lord Zeno. Yeah, Mark just has that special sense of humor that's kind of in your face and you just go all right what am i gonna say <laughs> but yeah i was like and and mind you he so he was watching south park but to speak to my frame of mind i didn't watch it <laughs> i was like oh no i can't watch that <laughs> have you watched it since <laughs> i haven't actually i've watched little snips i have it on my list to do because some some of our viewers are like, oh, you should totally do a reaction video. I'm like, you know what? I actually need to take the time to watch that from beginning to end. I have I have watched most most of it, you know, in snippets, but never from start to finish. But I think my favorite part is the credits at the end, where it's like, you know, I can't remember now, but like the, all the names are redacted because of Scientology's mm -hmm. litigious reputation to go after people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was very funny, and they kept saying "sue us" as well. Right. So that you 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 gained, I suppose, in leaving a soulmate in Mark, um, but also lost family members to you know disconnections and, and stuff. Yeah. And there's a video from your mum just like talking smack about you. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like now? Yeah, I mean, it's that's Scientology evil. I refuse to watch it. Um, I I don't believe a single you know. I do. They are literally POW videos. You know, everything about them, they're 100% staged. Um, and it's evil. I mean, nothing. That's the an, a great example of how Scientology destroys families. Like, why couldn't they just leave me alone and let me get on with my life if, if this wasn't some evilly motivated strategy to try and destroy me? You know what I'm saying? 
Like, what's what's their big deal? I was just one person in a religion that claims to have millions and millions of members. Why not just let me go on and live my life and do what I want to do? <laughs> but no, they have to cart out my family members, you know, my my brother, my stepfather, my mother, anyone I ever worked with, and do the same to Mark and the same to anybody else that has the strength of mind and the determination to expose Scientology abuses. It's it's absolutely despicable. It is. Have, have any of them reached out to you personally? No, they have not. But I, I will hold on hope that one day they will wake up and get out. You know, the last time I saw my mother was in 2011. Um, so, uh, of course, I escaped in January 2005. And then in 2011, my grandmother um, was in the hospital and she wasn't going to make it. Um, <clears throat> and my aunt, who was never in, called me and said, listen, your grandma's not doing well. She's not going to make it. You're welcome to come. I just want you to be warned that your mom is here and her brother, who is also still in Scientology. And I, I really, it was one of those moments, like, it was really tough. I'm like, oof, this is going to be really uncomfortable. But for my grandmother's sake, my grandmother was the only good part of my childhood. And so I went, and it was absolutely, utterly awkward. Like, I walked into the hospital room, and my aunts and uncles that were never in said to my mom, Jen, give Claire a hug. <laughs> it was just ultimately awkward. And then um, at, um, so my grandma passed and there was a big family dinner at my grandma's favorite pub. And when my mom and my stepdad got up to leave, I knew that was it. They were going back to America the next day and I would likely never see them again. So I got up, I went over to my mom, I gave her a hug and I said, I love you, mom. And in my ear, she said, I love you. She hugged me back. She said, I hope to see you again very soon. She had, you know, she's been disconnected for me, from me for six years. And, and if, if that doesn't say it all, like, I don't know what does. This is obviously not her choice. She's being leveraged and controlled by Scientology to not have any contact with me. That's what, that's what it said to me. And then I go to my stepdad, who has always been the ethics officer in the family, the police, like, we are Scientologists. And... I went to give him a, a hug and he goes, I don't feel inclined to give you a hug. And I said, well, I don't really care. And I gave him a hug anyway. And, and then I, so there's this thing in Scientology where Hubbard says, communication is the universal solvent. So to a Scientologist, that means communication will fix anything. Um, and so I said to him, don't you believe communication is the universal solvent? And he's like, how dare you talk about my religion? I said, your own family thinks this is BS. He's like, how dare you talk about my family? And he friggin' exploded, like yelling in my face. I had to push him away from my face. Not hard, but, you know, he was like yelling in my face in front of like 30 family members. And my mom is standing behind him like the deer frozen in the headlights. I'm just like, this is utterly bonkers. And then he stormed out of the restaurant and I let it all out and cried for two hours. I just lost my grandma. This was a little too much for me at that moment. And then I felt much better. I was like, hey, I stood up to him and I told him how I felt. And I pointed out the, you know, the, the patheticness of the circumstances. I said my piece. <laughs> good on you. Yeah. And now you continue to say your piece with Mark on Blown for Good. Is that where you'd like to send people? Um, we'll put a link in the description. What, and you, as you say, you're about to do a series on, on Shelley Miscavige. Yes. The first episode will release tomorrow. It's Where is Shelley Miscavige? And it's essentially um, I'm interviewing people from all parts of her life. Like I've learned so much about her life from doing this. It's fascinating because, you know, when oh. you're in the C organization or in Scientology, you don't really, especially in the C organization, you don't know people personally. You don't, you know, it's just all about the work. Um, and so I've, I've 
filled in much of her entire life. And I'm talking to people from all time periods of her life to learn more about her. And just to keep the conversation going, where is Shelley? Oh, that's fascinating. Well, Leah Remini feature. Yes, I did an interview with Leah Remini. I'm so excited. Because again, to me, Leah changed, played a huge role in changing the narrative about Scientology. It used to just be, oh, that's that crazy thing that Tom Cruise does. And with the Aftermath series and everything that, and the Fair Game podcast, the actual abuses and real life stories of people that have been hurt and lives destroyed by Scientology are now known on a far broader platform, which is incredible. And of course, when Leah left, she filed a missing persons report on Shelley that has not been answered to, to my knowledge. Thank you, Claire Headley. That was a beautiful, beautiful episode, I think, and especially her description of leaving the cult with Mark and also the bit about her mum, which is is very sad, but it's nice that she stood up to her stepfather. Um, I hope you guys got something from that. Do check out her channel and Mark's channel, Blown for Good, uh, for their, well, among many other things. They're, you know, there's their reporting on Scientology in general, but also their series on Shelley Miscavige and her whereabouts. Uh, I hope you guys keep up with the podcast. Remember, you can support it by signing up on patreon.com slash Gold or just signing up through Apple subscribers. Big episodes are coming up. See you soon. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.